Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. We're going to uh, roll with these XALP stories for a while. The one with Kriegel was very well received, and I'm such an XALPS junkie. It's really fun to hear these stories and behind-the-scenes stuff that most people have never heard of, and uh, trying to dig into each of the years with some of these athletes who have done it a bunch of times, and find out what what went on and uh, how things went down, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And our guest this week is Tom Dorlado. Other than Toma, he's done it more than anyone. He's uh, done it eight times, and he's in for this year, and it's ninth. So we go way back to 2007, and they've only been around since 2003, so he just missed the first three. And uh, find out about what it was like when they used to use paper maps and had no tech and no GPS and uh, much different communications and it was in a lot of ways much more of an adventure and not so much a race where the athletes would wait for one another and do it together and carry a lot more gear and that didn't really change big time until Kriegel came onto the scene in 2009 and really started pushing the lightweight thing so this is really fun to go back that far and listen to Tom's stories. And along the way, as we go through each of his each of his uh, races, we get into some really good advice that he has and just some of the takeaways and some of the things he's seen and the way he thinks about safety and how things are changing now that he has a couple kids. And yeah, I was fascinated to talk to him just to find out how he stays motivated to do these over and over and over again because it's quite a big thing, these campaigns. Please reach out if you're digging these. Let me know. And uh, there's a whole bunch more people I can sit down with. But, you know, X-Alps is very special to me. And if the general audience doesn't find these as intriguing, we can skip around and do some more normal shows too. But we've got a bunch of folks lined up for more of these. And if you like them, let us know. Appreciate it. So, without further delay, please enjoy this Exalps talk and this walk and fly down memory lane with Honda Dorlado. Cheers. Tom, what a pleasure, man, to see you here. You're you're a lot more clean shaven than I am, but uh, you're in your your new place. And <laughs> is it Fial? Is that how you say it in the Azores? I visited there by boat many yeah. years ago, but yeah exactly yeah we are uh we are now in fayal we just moved into our uh, new house so um, congratulations yeah it's a pleasure to talk to you too man yeah it's it, it's uh it's it's been a while but i'm i'm excited for your family in a new place and are you both i know you speak everything but do you speak portuguese as well is that just part of the repertoire man we are um, yeah we, we're learning to speak at the moment uh it's still pretty basic but we speak spanish so we can kind of understand you know what what they're saying but the funny thing is that my son Jack is only is is about to be uh, four years old, and he goes to school. He's been going to school for two months, and he already speaks Portuguese. <laughs> so he's going to teach us. I think it's crazy when when they're so small, they learn so fast. And um, but uh, yeah, we we understand most of it, and we have uh, really good friends there. Also, I mean, the paragliding community uh, in in the Azores has been super welcoming. Also, it's great? like you have a family everywhere every year you go yeah and um being a pilot and so um yeah and and there are, there's a flying site uh 500 you know 500 meters from my place 
So I can take off there in the morning, fly on the east faces of the island, and then land uh, in the in the backyard. So it's it's beautiful. Really enjoying it. Yeah. And will you be there for the most part up until the race? Is that where you'll be doing most of your training? Or I know you're heading off for the Alps. I think tomorrow. But is that sounds like that was more of a work trip? But is 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 this where is this home kind of year round? Yes, this is going to be home uh, year round. I, I think it's. Uh, I mean, it's not the perfect place to train because uh, it's still pretty small islands, and you know the flying conditions are are good. There's always a place to fly, but it's not like you can fly long distances or stuff. But but in terms of physical training, this is perfect because um, you know there are trails everywhere. People do a lot of running and hiking there, so I can train. I can cross the island. Um, you know, there's a, a trail every year called the Blue Trail, the Azores uh, Blue Trail, where you can run distances up to 65 uh, or 100K. So we have trails everywhere. So for just to go out and, and run, it's perfect. And the weather, it's pretty, pretty good all year round, you know, so it's never really cold. Um, but I will for sure organize a few trips to, uh, to the Alps. I'm planning also to sail to the Canary Island this, uh, this winter and train more in the Canaries, and then I'll go to the Alps for sure for some ski touring and mountaineering and flying, uh, because this is the place to be, I guess. Um, probably in in May, uh, early May, I'll move there with my van and live in the van for like a month before the race, yeah. I, I love the food there. I, as I'm hearing you talk about the Azores, I always think about the sardines. I'm crazy about their sardines. Yeah, it's man. So they... delicious. And it, it's such a culture that's based around the ocean, which I also love. Most of our time was spent on San Miguel and where a lot of the pilots live. And what a community too. They, I mean, they have that big bash every August and it's, it, oh, it's a fantastic place. I'm jealous. Yeah, and it kind of it kind of um, it feels a little bit like Europe thirty years ago. Like it's it's they are you know everyone knows each other. It's uh, it's a small community in our in our island. There's like fifteen thousand people, so everyone kind of knows each other, and um, and and so it's it's really cool. Like we made really good friends, and there are uh, local farmers. Everything grows on this island, you know. So we we have a project of uh, growing some uh, some some fruits and vegetables and stuff, and um, you go down to the sea, you can, you can go spear fishing or fishing, catch a fish, uh, you know, put it on the fire. Uh, the meat is great also because they, they have cows and they are grass fed all year round and stuff. So it's, it's, um, yeah, quality of life, uh, being out in nature every day and, uh, close to the ocean. And we thought that it was a good place for, for our, our kids, you know, basically. So nice that's, that's pretty much why we moved there. Um, and I, I still travel a lot. So I, um, it's a good place for me to come down and just, you know, land and sit back and, and, you know, just take some time for me to, to be with my family and quiet. And yeah, so we, we really enjoy, I mean, uh, I'll be able to tell you more about it in a few months because I've only been there for, for, uh, just a few months, but I, I love it. It's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, congratulations. That feels good to have a place. Um, well, Hey, we're going to take a walk down memory lane, Tom, with your X house. We just did this with Kriegel last week and, I'm going to do this with with more of you who have uh, done a bunch of these races. Going to sit down with Hansa next week and do this. So, what I wanted to start with before we get into your your first, which was 2007. No one's done it more except Toma. So, uh, you're you're next mm -hmm. in line with eight. This will be your ninth. I think I have that right. And uh, yeah. But before we get into that 2007 race and and hear your stories of of each of your events, which I know is going to be taxing on your memory with having done eight of them, but <laughs> I wanted to see 
you know, usually this time of year is, you know, when I'm starting, I'm not doing this one, so I'm not doing it this year, but usually this time of year, I'm all well into the training pretty hard. And I've been just kind of thinking this year, you know, not doing it, um, how difficult it would be to motivate to, you know, get that fit again. You know, I, I think some people like Kriegel and those, they just kind of stay fit because they're doing so much hike and fly racing, but you know, you're spending a lot of time with your family and sailing and the search projects and a lot of other things. And so with the, with the race on the horizon and it being your ninth, do you have any trouble with getting ready or getting motivated? Do you worry about much going into it from the physical side or is it, you've done it so many times, you'll just, you know, you'll be ready. I think it's a, it's a really good question, and that's that's very interesting because I mean, everyone has you know has a different way to see to look at things. But um, for me, it's like it's every two years, you know, and it it feels like every two years I start to train again, <laughs> um, you know, a year before the event, and then after the race I take some month off and I don't do anything, and it also helps my body to recover. You know, I I never got uh, injured. Uh, like in training or anything like that, you know, and I don't feel like I still feel pretty fresh after so many years doing it. And I, I do think that it's also because I take a little bit of time to just do nothing. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, professional athletes will tell you now it's better to train all the time and stuff. But but I, 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 I'm not sure about that. You know, it's good to also disconnect and do other things or maybe focus more on the flying or go on other adventures and change your mindset a little bit and then come back and start to train again. But in terms of motivation and it's it's difficult I, I would say of course some days you are super motivated because the weather is great and you have a good friend to go train with or so so you're having a good time you're in a good mood you want to train uh, but many days also you're not motivated and you just want to stay inside or do something else and that's where discipline comes in and routine you know um, and with the years I've, I've I kind of understood how to work that out like i i need to just set a plan and also have people looking at my training like have a professional trainer um and and work on my discipline and my routine it's like okay every day wake up go for your run do your uh meters you know go train go flying um and and work on the routine and and so i organize my trainings with friends i say okay on wednesday i go cycling with this guy on Thursday, I go running with my wife. On Friday, I do something else. I'm trying to keep, you know, busy and motivated. Um, but having said that, you know, some of the races where I came the strongest physically and, and really well trained were maybe not my best races. Mm. So, you know, it's not only about being fit and strong and physically prepared and trained. Um, it's also in your head and the strategy and your team. And it's so many things that you have to work on. So some some athletes, I think, maybe focus too much on training uh, when actually there's a lot more going on in those races, as you know. And so yeah. um, so we will see. This year I approach it a bit differently. I think I, you know, you're you're also uh, you have um, you know also a daughter and and you you know like it's uh, for me. I I want to spend time with my family. I I want to work on other projects. I want to do other things, you know, I'm, I'm not a monomaniac. I'm, I'm not hundred percent on X-Alps, you know, X-Alps is part of my life and by, part of my career, but this is, I'm not, I don't wake up in the morning only thinking about X-Alps, you know, uh, even if I love the adventure and I love the whole, the whole thing and the race and stuff. So I'm going to be training and I'm going to push myself as much as I can because I love it. But, uh, but this is not for me the most important thing. So 
should put it that way this way maybe yeah how have the optics going into you know say the 2023 race changed because of your family and and children compared to in the past has it has it just mellowed your view has it has it changed how you approach it i mean i know in the last race you you're always i think you you make very good decisions and you're you've always been more i think conservative than than some have with your eye on the long game you know if you if you get hurt you make a bunch you know you don't have the long game and so I, you know in, in this last race there was definitely a lot of really hairy weather and and you chose to you know sit it out sometimes or walk down or you know it was, it was just beyond your your comfort level from what i understand i was way behind you at that point i was just yeah, you know getting yeah. the messages but is that is that because of the family or is that just who you are no i think there's two things i think the first thing is that my approach to competition has changed i like to i like to compete you know because it's fun and i like the adventure and i like to be with my friends out there and i i'm there for the adventure but if i really think about it like to just go there to try to beat someone <laughs> and be the strongest somehow i don't know why it doesn't make sense anymore you know i i, I guess mm. it's it's an ego thing, which I understand. And, and, you know, people want to be the first and the fastest and the, it's cool. I mean, we all approach races with different, um, state of mind and, and, and mindset, but I used to be very competitive. I used to compete and I, I used to always compare myself to other pilots. And I used to try to be the fastest and the highest and this and this, and this. but then now I realize, okay, well, it's great, but does it really matter at the end of the day? No. And the answer to me, it's no, it doesn't really matter. I actually, I don't give a shit. <laughs> and so it, this is, this is the thing. It's, it's, it's interesting because, um, I, I wake up in the morning in the middle of the race and I want to push myself and I want to have big flights and I want to enjoy my day and stuff, but I don't really, you know, I don't really care if I'm in front of someone or behind someone, you know, there's always going to be a winner. There's always going to be a loser. Um, but does it really matter so much? And I think it's, it's, um, we have to think about this because the whole society works like this, you know, it's, it's all about competition. Who's got the bigger car and the biggest house and the biggest, whatever. Um, does it really matter? You know, what is it, is it more important than, you know, have beautiful experiences or, you know, have a nice conversation with, with one of the other athletes or meet some people on the way or discover new areas or learn things about yourself, you know? So for me, it changed in a way in the last years, I cannot tell you exactly when, but, but I, I can feel that now I'm not into, you know, this ego thing anymore of trying to be, you know, the best and the first and, and, and maybe I was never built to be one of those guys, you know? Um, so that's one thing. And the other thing is for sure, the risk um it's dangerous man this race and we've seen people doing crazy things you know and and i've i've seen it with my eyes some guys almost kill themselves in front of me you know and and they do the, they do this and and it's just to maybe gain one position in the ranking um and and i'm like why would you do that like why would you take off in the middle of a thunderstorm when you can just sit here and live another day, you know, and, and yeah. you'll have other days to fly. And, you know, and, it, and it's a, and so we've seen accidents, we've seen people getting hurt, but we also, we also have seen many very tricky and very shitty situation where 
they just saved themselves, you know, in the very last moment because they were lucky and because they have a lot of experience, obviously. But, but I'm like, does it really, you know, is it really interesting or is it what we want to show to the world also and to the people who follow the race, you know, that we can just go and fly in any conditions and take risks and just don't give a shit about our lives, you know? And now that I have kids, and we, ha I feel that I'm responsible for them and, and I want to be there for them, you know, when they grow. And so I had my share, my fair share of accidents. You know, I broke my back once, I broke my foot, I had accidents during x -Alps, you know, so I, I've, I've been through this, but now I think about it differently and I just think, okay, risk management is important to me. I, and you know, last time I think maybe I could have gained a few places in the ranking, maybe get into the top 10 if I had risk more, but then okay, oh, I'm, I'm number eight instead of being number 11. Great. <laughs> and what? <laughs> and, and I risked my life. So um, for me, it's more about telling a good story and sharing it with friends and learning things that I can share later on and, you know, just learn to be a better pilot and learn to be a safer pilot um, and, and also try to convey this message to, to, the, pilot, to, to the pilots who are following us because a lot of people are looking up to the Red Bull athletes and to the, the Red Bull X-Alps athletes and we have a responsibility somehow to to show the way and 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 show that you can be you know you can you can do big flights but you can do it safely uh you can prepare yourself to do those flights and that sometimes we should all leave our ego aside a little bit you know and just say hey guys take it easy what matters is to have a good time you know let's forget about the kilometers a little bit let's forget about the speed you know let's just enjoy flying you know um, and, and, and that's important, especially now in a world where it's all about social media and, you know, the, the track and records and stuff. I think it's interesting to maybe step back a little bit and see it differently, but I, that's my point of view only. And, and, uh, and, I, and I'm, and I'm happy to see that some guys like, uh, Aaron Kligo and, and the guys in front are really pushing, uh, and their competitiveness is, is really inspiring everyone. You know, um, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to criticize anyone. I'm just saying that. I'm I'm in another place at this stage of my life, I think. Yeah. Sounds like a pretty good place. Well, let's go to a completely different place because this uh you've been at this mm -hmm. a while. 2007. First, how old were you and and remind everybody of the route because you you didn't start that year where we start now and uh certainly didn't end it where we end now. Uh so take us back and and as I said before the top of the show what we'd love to hear is, you know, and this is going to be taxing on your memory, but, you know, a, a really high point, something that you remember that was just a beautiful experience and maybe the opposite of that, which often when you look back, the bad ones are, are high points too. You know, the mistakes are great things, but maybe something you remember from that race that uh, was that was tough. Yeah. I mean, this, this was um, uh, one of my, uh, yeah, one of the craziest uh, moment of my my paragliding career, career was to take part in the first Red Bull X-Ups. It was in 2007 and I was, I just turned 21 years old. So I was, I was pretty young. Um, wow. and, uh, and I remember when I, when I subscribed, I thought I'm just going to subscribe and, you know, just to, to be there and to, to let them know that I exist. And so maybe in two years, they'll take me, you know, they'll, <laughs> but I didn't really expect to be selected, to be honest. And so, uh, but, but it was fine to me. Like I was competing in, uh, in, in the Belgian championship. I was doing uh, nice flights and I, and I had a good level and stuff, but you know, it was, I had been looking, I'd been watching the DVDs of the 2003 and 2005, uh, 
uh, you know, uh, races and, and those guys were my heroes, you know, and I was super young. Um, so there I received an email one day, um, and saying, Hey Tom, you're selected uh, for the Red Bull League subs. And I, well, <laughs> okay, that's something. And so I, I had no sponsors at the time. I was, I was paying everything myself. I, um, I had a small company. I was doing uh, aerial photographies with, with a paramotor. And uh, on Saturday morning, I would go from door to door, knocking at the doors and, and say, hey, I took a photo of your house. Would you like to buy it? And I, that's how I was making like my pocket money, if I can say. And, um, and, and so I, I raised a little bit of money with that, but I was on such a low budget. Like, I think, I think I did all raise with 1,500 euros or something like that. Oh um, God, I was sleeping in my car. <laughs> no, I didn't have a van. And that was, uh, it was a super small van, like, uh, like a post office uh, van, like, uh, for the small one. So I had to sleep with the doors open in the back and I was getting wet every time it would, it would rain, you know? <laughs> and, um, and my supporter, I, I kind of told my supporter, Hey man, um, can you come and help me? You know, just have to bring me food once a day or something, you know, the rest of the day you can stay in the campsite. You can go to the swimming pool. You do your thing, you know? I, <laughs> and so my supporter will say goodbye in the morning. And I, he would go and visit villages and towns and he'd go on, on his little cultural trip, you know, and in the evening he would come back and give me food. So I, I remember, I remember being in the line at the supermarket to buy food. I was, I was standing like I would make, I would be in the line to buy an ice cream in Italy uh, and wait for 15 minutes so that it would be my turn to get my ice cream, you know, because I, I had no food. I lost 11 kilograms on that race oh in 10 my days. God. Big, yeah, yeah. I was, you should see the photos. It's crazy. I remember Michel Ferrer took a photo of me and I looked like so skinny. Uh, one day in uh, Merano Valley, I almost, I, I blacked out because I had, I didn't have food for, for so long. I was hiking in the fields and, and my supporter was not coming. And, and so, um, but you have to think, uh, I mean, we had no GPSs at the time. We had no smartphones. Um, we had paper maps. We didn't know shit about the Alps. Like we, we were really like trying to find our ways, but we would stop in villages and say, Hey, how do we go to the top of that mountain? And then maybe someone will take us. I remember traveling a lot with Julien Witt. He was one of my best uh, mate on, on this race. He's a French uh, pilot, super talented, one of yeah, the best pilots in the world. And, and we, and we, one day we got lost in, above uh i think above balzano we got lost and we walked for like hours and hours and hours like really the whole afternoon and then at the end of the afternoon we came back almost to the point where we started <laughs> five five hours before yeah. and it started raining it started raining and we opened um, uh, an umbrella and we had one umbrella for the two of us so we were the two of us two rebel athletes <laughs> like a, a rebel South athletes sitting just you know below the, the umbrella and and some days my supporter would didn't find me in the evening i had to knock at doors and sleep at you know some locals ask hey can i sleep in your in your house <laughs> so that was that was my first experience but it went it went really good like can you imagine that the first day of the red bull league starts in 2007 because we didn't really know we were not prepared we had my supporter came with a mcdonald's menu <laughs> for in the evening and say hey tom here i have i found this mcdonald's french fries burger <laughs> and uh yeah we we were just so inexperienced i mean now i can say it you know it's it's been 20 years almost but i didn't have i didn't have um 
at the time, I don't think I had enough experience to to take a race like this. But it was it was pretty much the same for most of the field. I mean, those guys, like I remember that year, the 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 Russian guy came with a backpack that was uh, around twenty kilograms, um, <laughs> and I remember him showing his backpack to the race director Steve Cox, and Steve said, "Okay, that that's a good joke, but can you show me your flying gear now?" And the Russian said, this is my flying gear, you know, like, oh and, and it was like, no, but do you, do, do you have anything, uh, you know, like lighter? And he had, uh, a gradient SR seven that was maybe seven kilograms and a Woody Valley harness that was 12 or 13 kilograms. He was, he was <sighs> 20 kilograms backpack and, he was, and his, his point was, his point was, no, no, but I fly better with this, you know, high performance uh, harness and a lot of weights so or a big glider. And it was, it was, his the the way he was you know like there were people like that in 2007 wow. you know <laughs> so um so it was a different game it was a different race we would fly with sleeping bags with a little uh, gas stove to be able to cook in the mountains when we would land um you know some sometimes someone will sit on the mountain for one day without even moving waiting for the next day to be better to get better weather you know so it was an, a different approach and then from there it only went faster and faster and faster but but the race was i was doing really well i was in the top 10 for the whole race so for being so young and you know so inexperienced uh, it was good i didn't need to sleep much you know because at the time it was 24 7 so we didn't have uh, to stop by night um and and that was that was crazy but um and but you after guys that at the year, end of the, you, the race you, you started at the Dockstein, right? And then didn't you go down to the Marmolata? You went down to Italy and then where? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then back up to Switzerland. Oh, man, right? I don't exactly remember. But but we had, yeah, I think at the time it was like four turn points or something. It was so much yeah. easier. And some people would go south and some people would go north and you, you would never see them. <laughs> you know, like uh, it was it, the distances between the athletes were huge. But yeah, we went to we went to Marmolada. I remember flying with uh, with Vincent Sprungley, uh, going to Marmolada. Vincent was flying a harness without back protection, like extremely light. And I remember when he prepared his his thing, he also went to Super and he took the smallest rescue parachute ever built, like XX small, like extra extra small. That if he had to throw it, he would have break his back for sure. He had no back protection. And it's just when they ask, Hey, do you have a rescue parachute? Yeah, it's here. And it was like really super small. And, um, and, and we were all using like, uh, uncertified helmets. Like we had bicycle helmets, you know, like <laughs> extremely light that if you crash, you, you wouldn't be protected. Um, and, and no one gave a shit about it. We were all flying prototypes and, and gliders that didn't even exist on the market, you know? So it's 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 good it changed you know and now it's a lot safer and you know the organization everything is a lot more uh organized and uh, but yeah we went to mamolada and i remember like the weather was was crazy we we flew quite fast uh but still it was taking a lot more days we i think that race lasted like 13 days or something um and and sadly i had an accident towards the end like uh I was getting close to, to Mont Blanc and uh, my glider collapsed and I crashed. Uh, I was on full speed bar, very close to the ground, but the glider collapsed. I crashed and I broke my, uh, my hand and, uh, I wanted to continue. I said to the organization, yeah, it's okay. You know, I have just put a cast and, and I'm, I'm just going to continue. But they say, no, 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 <laughs> you cannot fly like this. Um, and, and it was good. It was a good decision because the next day I woke up and my back was blue and, 
um, it was good to to go. So um, and and from there, I never stopped. I went 2009, 2011, 2013, 15, 17, 19. Yeah, and you've yeah, had all the races. We'll get, until... we'll get to these. You've had a couple other injuries with their X Alps related, but okay. Well, so that was a great start, Tom. <laughs> I remember, I remember uh, that was Nate's. That was Nate's first and only X Alps in 2007. His supporter was his his wife, and their I think. I think Ripley was two years old and, uh, and Nate's dad, that was, they had, they had a camper van that they rented and Ripley, the the daughter hated Nate's dad. They didn't like each other at all. And, uh, and she would, you know, he would call her at some point, you know, sometime during the race and say, Hey, you know, can I, can you bring me a sandwich? And, and his wife would go, Nate, we're at the pool, you know, we will see you tonight. And, and then every <laughs> night to find him, she would have to call Red Bull headquarters and find out where he was. Cause they, like you said, cause they didn't have GPS or they didn't have the tracking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, just totally we would give the name of a village and say, and say, I am waiting at the church of this village, you know? And, <laughs> uh, and of course we had no, we had no extra batteries, you know, the phones were ran off, you know? And, and I mean, it was good that, other teams were around and and it was a lot more uh, i mean it's still the case i think teams are still helping each other a lot but at the time it was really like you you should you you needed to count to be able to count on on other teams because mm. if not you would just die on, on the side of the road you know so the teams were would always stop and say hey do you need water do you need food and stuff and but after a while you wouldn't see anymore anyone you know like people would sit here and there and being lost and it was uh, it was it was a bit messy um, but very interesting and, uh, way like more of an adventure than a race, it seemed like back then. I mean, it seemed Man, a lot more. And, of a... and, you know, yeah. And at the time I was, I was really short on money, you know? And so I remember, um, when I talked to, it was my first sponsor. Basically I got a glider for free, uh, from, from gradient. They say, Hey, we want to support you. And, and so I was like, okay, great. But I was just in between two sizes. And so I thought, well, you know, for the XLs because it's it's um, I'm I'm light my harness is gonna be light and stuff I'm I'm gonna take uh, you know uh, I should take a, a smaller glider but for the rest of the year it's better if I have the bigger size so I just thought okay I'm just gonna take the bigger size and and I'm just gonna take ballast with me <laughs> and so here I was <laughs> because you know I couldn't afford to have two gliders so. So here I was, I had a, I had those, those bags to, you know, like the shower, um, the, the showers that you use, you, you fill the bag, like a black bag with, yeah. with water and it's a shower, like a camp shower, basically. I had one of those in my harness, um, in my back when I was flying. And, and as I was losing so much weight during the race, you know, I had to put more and more water <laughs> and, and still I felt really light. And so on the first day on the, taking off on Dachstein, I was on top of the Dachstein and the wind was blowing super strong. And I'm like, shit, I'm, I'm here. I need some ballast. So I'm, I'm starting to fill my, my harness with, with, uh, a little bit of water and then snow inside the bag. And, and then a, a few stones, I, I put a few stones in my harness, which is really something you should never do. And then I took off and I started flying backwards because my glider was a bit too big, you know? Oh and so I was looking down at Dash and, and I was thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to be the, the stupid pilot who flies backward above, above Dash because the wind is too strong. And I'm maybe going to break my legs or something. So 
I pushed the, I pushed the speed bar as much as I could. And slowly, 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 I started to cover distance, but it really take, it took ages to get out. You know, I was super high, but it took ages to escape from this place. And, uh, it was very scary and, and it was funny at the same time. And when I, when I arrived in, uh, at the end of the race, my glider was really way too big for me and for my weight. So I should have, for sure, I should have go for the smaller size. Isn't Tom, um, isn't that but, the one yeah. that, uh, isn't that the race that Vincent Sprungley, that was that amazing footage of him being launched with a rope? Was that, was that 2007? Remember on the docks, um, it was really windy and somebody held, held him with a rope and he, you know, until he got away from him and then, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. I think I think it is. Yeah, it, it took off from the top. Yeah, we, we yeah. all went down a little bit and took off a little bit lower. And I think yeah, that's that's what happened. Yeah, that was sketchy, man. If you if you look at the footage of those oh, years, so sketchy. First of all, like the gliders were prototypes. They were they were sketchy gliders, you know. Like and um and and those guys, they're just uh you know on the edge all the time and pushing, pushing. Actually, I was there with Vin- when uh, Vincent hit. Uh, a cable. I think it was that year he, he was flying and he didn't see a cable. He hit the cable. Um, but yeah, Vincent was also a really good friend. I spent a lot of time with him. Um, and, and you know, at the time, the life tracking system was not so so good. You know, it was not nothing like what we have today. And I remember one day we, we went to sleep like um, somewhere near a village and it was a quite a big wall just next to us. And then my mom calls me and says, hey, why do you sleep in the middle of a cemetery? And actually the life tracking was showing us right in the middle of the cemetery, you know, <laughs> but like a big one. So like, why would you sleep there? You know, and it was, it was, uh, but Vincent was a really nice uh, traveling companion and a really good pilot, but he was taking a lot of risk. It was, it was really cool. Yeah, I can't imagine yeah. flying that thing without any back prote- protection or, or reserve or nothing. Oh. Yeah. Okay, so we, he didn't have an, he didn't have even have a cocoon like he didn't have a, a cocoon. He had God. just a line, a paragliding line, and he was <sighs> flying like that, super light, like no cocoon, nothing, and uh, and he was flying fast. He flew like flights of 180 k's, you know, which at the time was, was something really. Yeah, wow, amazing. Yeah, yeah. So 2009, uh, you go back for more. That was Kriegel's first year. I don't remember much from 2009 because I was flying then, but the first one I really watched very closely was 2011. So tell us about 2009. Yeah, 2009 was also extremely interesting because at the time still there were no limits. Um, you know, you could you could run all night long. And um, and so I had been training my uh, sleep. Uh, you know, I, I was I, I could I could really go for 22 hours a day almost like i was sleeping three hours a day or something i had only one supporter it was at the time where we 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 would only have one supporter in our teams you know everyone it was no one had teams like what we have today with six seven guys two or three cars you know we we would have one car and one supporter and so my supporter was a, a really good friend and um and but he was more tired than I was because I I would never sleep you know, and um and I had this technique it was really funny we had a we we had a bit more of like a bit more logistic with us and I had one of those two seconds uh, tents you know like uh, from Decathlon yeah. the, the the tent that you throw in and it opens and and so we had one of those tents in uh, in the car and I, when I would need to sleep I'd just open it next to the road and just crash and i remember i was following uh andy future who was the italian he was a strong guy and i was following him and 
I would I would fake, you know, in the evening, late at night, I would just throw the tent next to my car. And there, the Italian would come and drive nearby and see the tent. And, and they would say to the Andy, hey, Andy, Tommy went to sleep. You can stop, you know, because he was maybe <laughs> one or two kilometers in front of me. So Andy would stop, you know, and I would just kind of sneak around the tent and start walking again. So, I w- but we would always wait for him to, to set the tent, you know, and we would do that three or four times because of course someone will call him and say, Hey, go again. Tommy's, Tommy's on his feet. Tommy's he's hiking again, you know, oh keep going. God. So he would, he would go again and we would do that like all night long, <laughs> throwing the tent and just laughing at, at the Italians <laughs> and, uh, until the moment where he would just, you know, crash and, and stop and say, okay, this is it. And, um. But but my my uh, strongest memory in two thousand nine, and it's this is one of the strongest memory I have from from all the exiles that I uh, took part. In. It was with um, Julian Wirtz. Um, we were near um, Zermatt, and actually I, I flew out of Zermatt the day before, so I was I was already in the valleys uh, valley, you know, in, in the big valley, and I was going towards mm-hmm. uh, Mont Blanc, and I was in the tenth position, and Vince, um, Julian was. Maybe I think it was like 30 kilometers in my back, you know, behind me and the weather was horrible. So I was like, okay, this is it. I have the tense position. No big deal. You know, this is good. Um, I'm happy to be in the top 10. That's it. But then I don't know how we did it, but in the morning, the sky was gray, you know, like it was almost raining and he took off and flew 30 Ks. I don't know. Like, don't ask me how he did it, but he did it. He flew in those really crappy conditions and landed two kilometers behind me and there we were all super motivated to to be you know i would i wanted to keep the 10th position and he wanted to get into the top 10 so he started running after me and we are in the valleys and it's flat and it's 100 kilometer of flats basically like or maybe not 100 but i think in tim martini it's like 50 or something so we start going for 50k and we and we run and we run we run and all day long. And at the end of the day, maybe around five o'clock in the afternoon, I call him because he's a good friend. And I'm like, hey, Julian, how are you doing, man? Yeah, good. And you? Yeah, yeah, good. We tried, both kind of faking it. You know, <laughs> like we, all, we were all destroyed. And uh, both of us were super tired. And I say, I, I try something and I say, hey, Julian, what do you think if we, you know, what about we stop for an hour, you know, at the same time? We get some rest. We, we maybe we eat something, you know, we change shoes and suck you know, and socks and whatever, you know, we take an hour and then we go again. And he says, yeah, uh, let me think about it. I call you back. So I'm like, okay, I think he's going to accept, you know, it's a good deal. We both stopped and, and we, and we, and we take a bit of rest, you know, and then he calls me back and say, Hey Tom. Yeah. I'm going to get you, man. I'm, I'm feeling strong. You know, I'm not going to stop. You're, you you're going to, you're going to fall down. You're going to die. You know, it was really like, it was playing with me, but it was so fun. And then I started to say, no, man, no, no, you're not going to get me. I'm going to run faster. But like, we were both laughing at each other, but we were going for it. And so we start running again. And I was so exhausted that night that I fell asleep walking. I, I crashed on the road. Like I fell to my face, you know, boom, I almost broke my nose and, <clears throat> but I kept on going. I kept on going all night long. Um, and, I, and then we arrived above Martini on the call on the, I think it's called the Fokla Pass or something, or one of those. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm on top there and it's eight in the morning and I'm like, shit, now I'm going to fly down, but he's going to be here at nine 30 when the first thermals come and maybe he gets a lift and then it 
flies above me, but but I cannot wait for him here. You know, it was just the wrong, wrong timing for me. So I fly down, I pack my things and I start to run like crazy. And then I see him an hour later flying and getting close to me and, and catching up with me, you know, and I'm like, no, you know, in the very last moment, the race would, would start, would stop at 10 or something because it was 24 hours or, or 48 hours after the first one. So we had one hour left and he landed just maybe 500 meters behind me, but my bag was packed and I was full on, you know, it was my last breath until my last breath. So I kept on running and running and running. And then he called me and he said, Hey Tom, you got it. And he was, I remember he was crying, you know, he was crying and he said, Tom, you have this relation. This is, you have the best position. And there, I don't know what happened, but my brain just shut off and I fell, um, on the side of the road and I couldn't stand up anymore. I couldn't walk. My supporter had to come and carry me to go all the way to Chamonix because I, I just had covered and we had covered 120 kilometers in one push nonstop with the backpack. So we were oh. smashed. I think it's still the record now of the longest distance ever made in 24 hours in the Ixops because it was just nonstop. I mean, no, it's not possible anymore. But and 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 this is one of my strongest memories because you realize that your limits are way, way you know, beyond, way behind what you think it is. You know, totally. Yeah, way behind. Yeah, that's super interesting about Ixops. But I I couldn't walk for three days. I think after that, after running so fast and you know with backpack and everything. But it was still one of my, uh, yeah, one of my strongest memory, and and I went into the top ten that year also, so it was it was good. I think one of the greatest yeah. buzzes of the race for me has has been, and this has been in, in all of them at some point, is uh, you you have you have these moments where you cannot believe what your body is doing. You you cannot believe that it can yeah. keep going, and it and and most of the time you feel good doing it. You're okay, you know you're just charging and charging and charging and you think god there's how is this possible it's a real it's a real buzz i mean there are times where it just hurts but uh boy that's an addictive thing when you when it's just keep going it is and and what's interesting is if you like only talking about sleep for example if you if you sleep three hours a night for the next four days and, and even if you do nothing and you stay at home sitting in your couch you know you're going to be exhausted Oh, but for so whatever reason, you're in the Ixalbs and you just go and wake up in the morning and you're fresh and you go for it and you just want to go for more. And it's, I think there's the adrenaline, the kick, the, the love of adventure, the, the whole, the whole community is, is kind of carrying you also, you know, like and, and pushing, but, um, but it's extremely interesting. And, and I think it's, um, it's also because you've put so many hours, um, preparing and it's a long process. And so your mind is prepared for this and your you know, you, you, you know what you're here for. And, but, uh, but, but this is interesting. This is really the Ixalps difficult moments. It's, it's something that I always use during my, you know, when I go through difficult times, even during the day, you know, whatever happens, I always think about those moments, like, okay, remember the time that you hiked 120 K with, with Jimmy Wirtz in your back, or remember the day you, you covered, you, you did 6,000 meter positive or, you know, those kind of days that we think we were not able to do those things, but we, we are, and we all are. That's, that's the interesting part is that we can all do this. Everyone can do it, training and preparing and, and, um, you know, putting the energy into that. 
And so, yeah, the limits are way beyond what we think. And, and that's very interesting. And that's what the Ixals show, showed us. And, and, and also, if you look at the history of Ixals, because we're going down memory lane now, it's, it's interesting to see that the whole sport also has evolved. We, if you tell me in 2007 that you can cover the whole distance in eight days, you know, a few, four years later, I would say, ah, man, impossible. And now we're covering more distance, a lot more, because in 2007, it was 800 kilometers. Um, now we are 1,200 kilometers or something, which is crazy. Um, and we're doing it faster. So yeah. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's quite incredible. The, the level of professionalism, I mean, even from my first, which was 2015, which we're not even two yet with you, and, and now it's remarkable how much faster everything, you know, like you're talking about the the logistics and the apps. I mean, we've got we've got apps to handle everything that you didn't have in 2007, you know, for everything, that for, the, for our supporters to know where we are and to communicate. And I mean, we've got everything at our fingertips and but all the teams are using it and it's uh it's remarkable how fast it has gotten it's you know i i always say yeah you know in 2015 you could make big mistakes and still totally be in the game you know you you could make moves and it just seems like that window evaporates a little bit more with every race you know mistakes just cost yeah. and it's pretty hard to get it back yeah, I can give you an example. In 2009, I was supposed to fly, I was getting into a valley and I was supposed to fly left and I went right. <laughs> so I was, I was flying in the wrong direction, really, like for at least three or four kilometers. And then I, I got a message on my phone, you know, saying, hey, Tom, um, why, why are you flying this direction? And I was sure I was, you know, I was going the right way, but it was just not. <laughs> and and you're so tired. And at the time, we didn't have those apps, and we were just on paper maps. Paper maps. I was, as I was just saying, oh, it was the first Garmin GPSs uh, with you know very basic maps, and um, so we were trying to figure it out. Uh, but it was really the beginning. Now you have everything on your iPhone, and um, and it's incredible. And and as you say, the communication system. I mean, even things like WhatsApp to send your position at the moment or to communicate with your team or, you know, all the different apps that we use, it's, it's a game changer for sure. Yeah. It's a lot more, uh, a lot more easier, even like, uh, yeah, if you, if you need to find a, a food or whatever for the team, I mean, you know, um, but, but what's been interesting in, in those years is that also no one knew about x you know, you would, yeah. we were going through towns and no one would ever come and see you, you know, no one knew like, uh, what is he doing with his backpack, you know? And now, um, everywhere you go, there are some local, you know, some locals that want to hike with you or show you the way or fly with you or bring you some food and stuff. We get a lot more help from the locals than we used to get before we didn't get any help. And no one knew about Ixalps. Now, I mean, there's a high chance if you go into a village somewhere in Austria and say, hey, I'm doing the Ixalps, pretty sure that someone will. They'll have your picture on your phone as you walk up. And yeah, it's, it's, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Okay. 2011, you were, uh, as Toma ran that one pretty much. He was, he was second. I think only two people got in Kriegel and, and then Toma and the weather was awful. That was the, that was a tough year, wasn't it? Yeah. The weather was, was really horrible. A lot of rain. Um, and, uh, I, I was starting to get good at, hiking all day long you know i i had a i was we were starting to also understand how to train physically better so every all the athletes were 
getting stronger and and getting closer to to what Coconia was was doing, what Toma was was doing at the time. Um, we would hike all day uh, in the rain, so that was that was really hard. Yeah, I remember that that year. And um, what I remember also, it was um, it was interesting because um, at the end of the race, I think that year my brother was my supporter. Um, and he didn't know anything about paragliding. Like he had never heard of paragliding. We, he was about to get married and we thought, well, this is, this is a cool experience. This is something we should do once in our life, you know, do it together as brothers. And, and so let's do it together. And, uh, but, but I remember like we, even to open my glider on the ground, you know, on top of the mountain, he, he couldn't do it. Like he, he would, he would do it upside down and, you know, because he didn't know anything about flying. So that was, that was interesting. Um, but yeah, we, we had a really, a really good race. Um, the, the end of the race was really hard for me. I remember because we were flying with, uh, with Clément Latour and we were quite in good position. I think we were five and six or something like that or seven. Um, and we arrived in Val Um, and the clouds were covering the top of the mountain, uh, the ridge. And so we couldn't cross to the other side and fly down on the other valley where, where everyone was like all the other pilots, Ferdi and all those guys, they were just down there. So we landed on top and I uh, decided to land on top and start to hike. And um, guys like, I think it was Honza was, was way behind us in the morning, but he decided to go through a national park. Uh, and we, as because Clément is French and, and I, I know many French pilots and stuff, we said we have to go around the national park. At the time, it was not forbidden by the race, but it was yeah. still, you know, a little bit on the edge and it was forbidden by the authorities. And I don't know, Anza took the risk and flew above us and, and got into the top 10. Um, and then Clément took off and flew into the clouds. Um, and then I was there and I was like, oh, I, I just don't want to fly into the clouds. And so I was sitting there and couldn't, fly and then the wind got too strong to fly down and then it was the ra- the end of the race so there i was 11th instead of 10th onza just flew over me a minute before the end like it was really two minutes before the end of the race so he got into the top 10 like the very last moment and and for me at the time i was still on low budget so i was really trying to be into the top 10 because it would help to get a little bit of money to pay for the race and uh so it was it was that those years you know and and then i had to walk down 2000 meters oh. and it was the race was done it was finished but i had no other way to go down so i i walked 3 hours more when everyone was celebrating and stuff oh. it was really hard but um Brutal. but an amazing experience and on the first night i i went into it was i landed near the dachstein and um and on the first night my brother couldn't find me he couldn't find me and he was i think 11 11 p.m. or something and he couldn't find me he couldn't find me all the the, the the access were closed and stuff so i just went to a house and i knock at the door and some drunk guys open and they were like three or four guys like hunters i think and they were totally wasted and they start to <laughs> sing and you know so i'm like okay this is not gonna work thank you they gave me a little bit of food but then i found a place to crash and i i slept basically in my glider um you know on the side of the road and wait for the next day to go to Dachstein and fly down. Um, but those were really hard, uh, races. Yeah. Really, really difficult ones. Um, but one of the things that I, my best memory for sure, um, in this race was when we arrived next to, um, it was close to the Marmolada. I think the Dolomites were still, it was still a turn point in, in Italy. And, um, I was with, uh, Michael Gebert, I think. No, I'm sure I was with Michael and we were 
a big group of people, like between number six to 12 or something, we were all together um, on the takeoff in the morning. And we were on the good timing. The takeoff was beautiful and stuff. And then I looked at Michael and we, we were looking at the Trecime, you know, those three big yeah. pillars, you know, those mountains. And we were like, wow, that would be a dream to take off there, you know, but you, you have to hike maybe an hour more, but that would be something then to take off on the, on the foot of those mountains. And so we start looking at it and it was like, ah, oh, let's, let's go, man. Let's just go. So we kind of discreetly, you know, we didn't say anything to the others. We kind of disappeared and we, we started to hike fast and we arrived at the foot of those pillars. And it was funny because we were both sponsored by Volkswagen by gradient and by peak performance at the time so we were like dressed exactly the same like we had the same logos on our gliders we had the same gliders we had the same clothes it's funny and um we even looked uh, the same a little bit so we were there and we're like okay let's go now and we took off and we got so lucky because the the rest of the group was in the shadow and they couldn't get out and we took off and we went like skyrocket into like to cloud base directly we flew above the trechime the view was amazing and then we we flew away and we left them maybe at 80 kilometer behind at the end oh. of the day we were number five maybe number five and six or something so we were really good position just because you know for the beauty of the of, of it wow. you know just because we wanted to to see this trechime from above it was i really love that because we decided to do it not for we could have just stayed with the others saying, hey, we're a big group. We'll play all together and stuff. But we didn't, it was not even a better takeoff or at least it didn't look like, but it was just, we wanted to do that. Oh. And uh, the experience was amazing. Like uh, soaring on those big pillars and then fly out. And we landed um, in Balzano, I think this, this evening. And then we, we got out and the next day we were way in front of the others. So that, that was a good wow, move. Wow, that's um, a good move. Yeah. Do you, when you're kind of reminiscing and thinking back on these, does it does it make you think of a a headspace or a place you you have found mentally that really works in this race? I mean, it seems like more, um, you know, I know one of my failings in the race has often been that I'm trying too hard. You know, I I I forget to be a hike and fly pilot. And I, and I think too much about course line, but I just, you know, I get in this mode where I, 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 I almost, I almost forget that I know what I'm doing. You know, that, that you just, you know, when you're yeah. I'm not, in other words, I'm not in the zone. I'm, I'm not in flow. I'm, I'm fighting yeah. it. And instead of just, just letting it go and letting it work out. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is really, this is very interesting because that's what I've learned from Ferdi. You know, Ferdi van Schelven is a, is one of my best friends. And he's, he's that, this kind of pilot who he takes his own decisions, you know, and he does his own thing. And he works on intuition and instinct. And m some way it's kind of magical, but, you know, it takes decisions and it works and he does things differently and it works. And you always look at him like, how did you pull that off, you know? And it just doesn't follow the crowd you know and and so i i used to be a follower like i used to kind of look at the french guys that i knew better i would in my first race for for sure in 2007 and 2009 i would just look at nationalities i would say hey we're in italy 
let's look at what Andy Frutcher is doing. You know, mm-hmm. we are in France. Let's look at what the French guys, or we are in Germany or in Austria. I would always do like that because they knew someone who knew someone. The paragliding schools were around, you know, helping and stuff. So even some of the guys, I remember Andy Frutcher once even stopped his, his life tracking in the morning so that we couldn't see his secret takeoff you know so they, they would do things like that we i mean he knows he knows i know and we know he knows and so but uh but but it was it was this kind of, of things you know so but but then i've learned from ferdi um that we it's always better to take your own decision and if you make a mistake that's your own mistake you know and that's mm-hmm. your problem mm-hmm. and you cannot find any excuses and i feel better like this too now and so now i i just i try to do my own thing you know and take my own lines and and decide for myself and even though even with that mindset i can see that sometimes i get influenced and most of the time it's by my team and your team you know they are on the ground and they want you to be fast and they think they have a better idea which is sometimes it's true but but sometimes you just should you just you should just do your thing you know and and by doing your thing you you learn maybe you make a few mistakes but then you improve and then you can come back stronger and then you can always reflect on it. And so now this is the way I see it. I, I just work on, I try to get in the zone, as you say, I try to get in the flow state. Um, and I, and I try to listen. And one of my strategy now is I always say, if you want to be fast, you have to go slow is we have to think a little bit more, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes you want to rush into a new move, a next move, you know, you're like, okay, let's, let's not lose time. Bam, bam, bam. Let's go, let's go, let's go. But if you take five minutes of your time to just sit, you know, and really think, about what is the best option and you know measure a little bit what the pros and cons and then it makes a difference and at the end of the day those five little minutes that you've lost just thinking a little bit better about the next move it makes all difference for sure you know so it's interesting and to hear you say that it's i often used to go influenced too fast yeah it's interesting to hear you say it's often influenced by your by your team i you know we just had aaron duragati out here for the x red rocks and after the he just dominated he was incredibly strong and uh, after the race he and i got to spend quite a bit of time just chatting and he he he's had a big year you know he did the huge flights in pakistan as you did uh, we haven't even talked about that but he you know he had a big big year in pakistan and he's had some really nice results and he was saying that you know for him the x alps has really never gone that well now for most people it would be very well he's you know he was sixth and seventh and i mean he but but he hasn't won and you know he's very competitive and he was saying that he feels like that one of the reasons is that he's always had people on the on his team who have been pilots and he this year he's going to have a team with no pilots he he want you know he'll have a mountain guide he'll have strong people and he'll have the supporters that he needs but um he he wants to make he he just wants to be uninfluenced by others and not that they not that it's even a bad influence he just feels like he performs better if if the decision making is all his and it's interesting to hear yeah, you know it's, it makes it's interesting sense. for me to even contemplate an XAPS without a pilot on my team, but it, it does make sense. I, I, I like that philosophy and that, you know, it does make sense. We all know what we're doing. And and not only, yeah. Yeah. And then there, there are, you know, pilots and pilots. I I have, you know, some pilots in my team for next year, but, but they know, they know what they know. And they, you know, the problem is 
you know, we, we've been through this, you know, we, we know exactly what it is and what it feels like. And, and sometimes people would say, yeah, you should go because they're so excited that it's dangerous or it's windy or it's not as good or, or maybe you should just wait five minutes because it's going to get better. And I, I really try to, you know, really, um, rely on my intuition. Um, intuition, it, it's, it's not some sort of magic, you know, it's based on your experience. It's all the experience that you gather uh, through the years. And then when you get into a certain situation, you have that feeling, that gut feeling that says, Hey, this is a good situation. You've been through this before, you know, or the other way around, you have a bad intuition because you've been through this situation and it's last time it didn't end well. So it's experience it's based on experience. And maybe I would think that you, you are the most experienced in your team because you're there and you're the athletes and you've, you've been through those races before. And so I, I think to rely on someone who maybe has been flying for three or four years, he's super motivated, he's got lots of ideas and stuff, but maybe he doesn't have the key to for the next move and you shouldn't pay too much attention to him. And I've done it many times. In 2007, I remember this guy who told me, hey, I'm the local champion. Uh, I've been flying in this area for many years. I'm going to show you a takeoff. I, I flew a 120-kilometer triangle from here. You're going to love it, blah, blah, blah. He took me to this place. I hiked for one hour following this guy, thinking he knows everything. He's probably the guy to follow. And then I arrived on the worst takeoff I had ever seen. <laughs> the wind was from the side. Uh, it was impossible to take off. They were surrounded by trees. And then I looked at, at this guy and I thought, well, I don't know him. I've never heard of him. I, I don't know who he is. Maybe he's just a friend of another athlete and he's telling me stories, you know? Who knows? I mean, I, I, I would think that it, that's not the case, but, sure. but you know, never who knows? Know. You know, and, and here you are, you've been training for it for two years and you're there and you follow the first guy who comes with a good idea. This is ridiculous. This, this was my mistake for sure, you know? And it happened to me many times. Those guys that say, hey, I know the way to the takeoff and then they get lost on the way. Like, do you really know where you're going? Yeah, yeah, I've been here before. And then you take twice as much time as the other one who's following you. So it's something that I think you should trust yourself first and then trust your team, but take your own decisions always. And I think for Aaron, this is for sure, this is uh, this is true. And I think also I've, I've talked to Aaron a lot about this because we, we are quite close friends. And, and it's also like the, the pressure mm. because he's won everything. You know, he's, he's, he's one of the top pilots out there. And, probably top five pilots in the world uh, for sure and uh and aaron is, is you know it, it's got a lot of pressure he, he wants to do well in this race you know and uh and and when he takes things easy like like he goes to to other races without too much pressure and doing his thing and stuff he's the fastest um and and he takes the right decisions um and i, I think he's going to do well this year i'm quite confident like aaron is one of the he's favorites for sure uh, he's in a really. I, I haven't seen him this physically strong. He's always strong, but he's yeah. He's. Uh, I think he's in the right headspace going into this one. It'll be it'll be fun to watch him. Which reminds me of 2013. Yeah. So that was, you know, you guys had banner weather in 2013. Kriegel finished in six days. You even had a tailwind, which is unheard of in the X Alps. Uh, for the first, you know, all the way to Mont Blanc, there was kind of a light easterly. I don't know if you remember that, but yeah. uh, I wasn't in the race, yeah, but at amazing. this point I was completely addicted to it. And I remember watching 
you guys the first day, you know, from the Geisberg up to the Dockstein and flying down the Pinsgau. And I mean, I think Kriegel all, almost made it to Lermoose that day, or maybe he did. Uh, yeah. But it was, and it was, it was him and Aaron going, you know, they were, they were battling out front because they're both, you know, big time comp pilots yeah. and they were, they were going real fast. But uh, yeah, tell us about 2013 and, and your experience. I mean, the weather was incredible. Yeah, 2013 was was incredible. It was an amazing year. Um, for me, it was a complicated year because I went into the race with a sea glider. Uh, it actually happened to me two times, no, three times in the race. So that that's interesting. I mean, I was flying with Gradient, as you know, and it was my sponsor, and I was doing lots of other adventures with them. And it was it was a beautiful brand. They had good gliders and stuff, but they didn't like the timing was always wrong. Like it didn't work out. Like they would have a new uh, D glider, but then we use it for one exhaust and then maybe the second, another exhaust. And then we, I arrived in 2013 and, and we didn't have a glider ready. Um, and so the new C glider was almost performing as well. It was the Aspen at the time, but still you couldn't keep up with the other guys. Impossible. You know, it was the first, uh, I think it was the year where the M5 came out or something. So Ozone had a really good glider. And um, so for me, it was very frustrating because you're there you are with some of the best pilots in the world flying a sea glider with you're really limited uh, with wind and, and performances and stuff. I remember that on the day we took off with Kegel, actually, I think it was on the second day, we took off from Dachstein together. And when I landed, I was three kilometers behind him and I had mm. to go around the hill to, to go. And so I was not on takeoff with him that day and I couldn't keep up. So it was it was hard. But at the same time, I had a really good time. And, I, and one of my best memory of this race, because we were flying, we were still flying 100K every day and really covering distance. Um, and, and that's the first time after 2007, 2009, and 2011, that's the first time that I passed Mont Blanc and I started to get really close to Monaco. Um, and, uh, and on the very last day, it was incredible because I was into, I think, I don't remember exactly where, I think I was 12 or 11 or it doesn't matter, but... But we were fighting with the Polish guy. Um, I don't remember his Pavel. name anymore. Pavel. Um, Pavel. Pavel. Yeah. yeah. Pavel. Yeah. And yeah, he's such a nice guy. And so it was the last two hours of the race and he was going to be flying. So we, we climbed to the takeoff and took off. And um, he, was, he arrived flying. He, he, took, he went on another takeoff and he, he basically uh, joined me flying. And I knew he had a better glider than mine. I, I had no... Like if he just stay with me, he would win because at the end it just has to speed to push the speed bar. It just had to speed to to push the, the speed bar, and he would just leave me behind. So so I knew that, and he knew it also. So my only technique was I I needed to find a way to you know get lost and and try to leave him behind. So in one of those, it was I remember it was a beautiful mountain near Gap, not far from from Gap, and. Um, it was very like it was a very sharp uh, edge, and I was flying, turning into a thermal there, and then I would kind of play hide and seek with him, you know, like uh, I would go behind the the go behind the thing and then come back, and I, every time I would come back, I could see he was watching me, you know, it, and he was tr turning into his own thermal, but only two hundred meters away, like he was he was in control for sure, he was in control. And I was turning and hiding and then appearing again, hiding, appearing again. And then one of a sudden I saw, okay, now he, he thinks that I'm going to stay here and try to, you know, climb in this, in this smooth thermal. 
Then I push the speed bar full on and I get super close to the wall and I start racing. And when he realized that was already like maybe one kilometer in front. So I'm, I'm there in front and there's like maybe 15 minutes left or something. So I'm like, okay, I need to, I need to climb now. And, and so I get another terminal and he follows me and he's catching up. Of course, I mean, his bladder is flying way better than mine. He's catching up, catching up. And then I see the time there's five minutes left. Uh, I'm one me- 1000 meter high. I say, okay, now it's speed bar towards the goal, like towards Monaco. So I push full speed bar. I put my arms inside my harness and I'm like, okay, now we will see what happens. <laughs> and then he comes and gets closer and closer and closer. And to be honest with you, I think we were just side by side at the end of the race. Like we were together. Oh, I could wow. uh, even, I think even, even, even flew be, be in front of me, but because the life tracking had two minutes, uh, delay, you know, I was showed 10 meters in front of him at the end of the race. And so I, I got the position close? in front of him. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, we were like just next to each other at the very last second of the race. Like we were together. Oh, wow. And so we did a, a ground spiral together. We did a, a spiral together, like glider against glider. We landed and I jumped into his arms and we started like laughing and oh, what a finish. It was amazing. We were, we were like super happy and it didn't really matter like who was first or second. Yeah. It was just, we had played this beautiful game for the last like two hours and a half. Like we had really pushed ourselves. And in, in, in flying at the end is so much better than being running on the road, you know? And I remember Dimitri, no, it was uh, Evany, the Russian guy, he was running on the road. We flew over him like 10 minutes before the end also. Yes. So we overpassed him. Wow. Um, but yeah, it was, it was amazing. And then and, and we celebrated. And, and I, think, I think at the end I was maybe 12 and he was 13 or 13 and 14. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But, but um, that was a really cool finish. We, we, we party Super pretty hard cool. that night. That's amazing. <laughs> I've never been. Yeah. That just made me think. I've never been in the air at the end of the race. Yeah, but I've either okay, been on the yeah. ground or yeah. I mean, my first one. I was in Monaco, which was awesome. But the but the other ones, I've always been on the ground. That'd be cool to be in the air at the end of the race and racing. That'd be awesome. Not even in the last race. In in the last race, I was in the air also during really? the, 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 cool. the race. Yeah, I had just landed. Mm, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, that was that was that was neat. It was a neat end for for us last time. But I, no, I had just landed. Oh wow, that'd yeah. be really cool. Okay, so 2015. That was my cool first because year. we knew, but we we were both. Uh, yeah. 2015. Yeah. That's also a, an interesting year. That was your first time, right? Yeah. That was my first. You've already done four at this point. Uh, and I, <laughs> you're still much younger than I am. But, but you did really well on, on, on your races there. I remember you did amazingly well. 2015 was good. Yeah. That was, you know, I, I, I'd like to have that headspace back because I know I'm a better pilot, you know, over all these years. But, you know, like we were talking about earlier, I think it, it helped a lot going in being completely ignorant, you know, having no idea. I, I, I literally had no idea if I was just going to be eliminated or if I could do it. I've, I had never been an endurance athlete, but, uh, you know, so I was, I was going in with a lot of trepidation, which allowed me to be, I think, just do stuff and have fun, you know, and so, which, which worked a lot better, but it was, there was a lot of wind. Your, your buddy, we saw a lot of dropouts that year. Michael Gebhardt and uh, Toma got really hurt. You got hurt. There was a, it was a pretty, pretty radical race. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but um, yeah, it was, it was a radical race and, and it was uh, mentally quite difficult. And I, I remember you just talked about, um, uh, about Michael Gebhardt who, who uh, dropped out of the race. I, I was there with him that day and we, 
we took off together and conditions were super bad. And again, we were both playing sea gliders. So we were quite limited in wind, you know, like when you have to push the speed bar on a sea glider, they just get stuck, you know, and so it was hard. And, and on one of those flights, it was very turbulent and we were flying together with Michael and one of a sudden, well, for, I don't know why, you know, he just turned around and went to land, but he went back like maybe 10 kilometers to land in, in town, in a town down there in the valley. And and I knew, I knew at that moment, I, I kind of felt that, uh, he was uh he was stopping the race you know he, he actually told me in the morning yeah i don't know why but i i don't embrace the conditions anymore i i don't feel like uh this is a safe for me anymore and um and so i was like yeah well you should just listen to to what you feel and just stop or maybe take a day off and think about it and and so he did he, he stopped the race and i kept on going and um and i was i was catching up with the group um i made a few good moves and one morning, I was with uh, Ferdi van Schelven um, in Bellinzona, in the area of Bellinzona, and we were number seven, I think, so together. And and we do really well when we fly as a team. So we were like excited. We're like, okay, this is now. This is the moment for us to to try to perform as a team because we've been on many adventures together and know each other really well. And we were super motivated to try to keep going together during the race. And um, we arrived on the takeoff and it was a super sketchy takeoff, very steep. Uh, it was no wind, a uh, little bit of breeze coming up, almost nothing. And what we do with Ferdi when we get into those places, we, we do uh, rock, paper, scissors, you know, to see who's going to take off first. And so we did rock, paper, scissors, and he said, okay, I'm, I'm going to go first. Um, because he, he knew I could help him, you know, I could, I could hold his, his glider and stuff. So he went down into the, the face a little bit and I was holding his glider and he took off perfectly. He had a bit of breeze. He took off really nice and, and went away. And, um, and so I prepared and I got everything ready and because I had seen his takeoff, I thought, well, this, this is going to be easy. It looks good. Um, but I inflated my glider and for whatever reason, it kind of stayed, you know, it didn't really carry me I, I couldn't feel the pressure but i felt like okay well this is super steep i'm just going to give two steps and, and it is it will start to fly but it didn't i i gave two steps and the glider kind of stayed in behind and, and kind of stalled like entered in, into a deep stall and so i hit the rock uh, maybe four meter below and i tumbled above the rock and then the glider got tangled into the stones or whatever i don't know what is exactly what happened but i felt for 30 meters and my glider got tangled into rocks. Half of my lines on the right side broke and the other half hopefully uh, old. And I went back to the wall like with my foot in front at full speed and boom, hit the wall super hard and broke my foot. And then I was sitting on a super small edge, maybe 30 centimeter edge, sitting there with, with one, you know, like half seated and looking down and I had 200 or 250 meters of, of Ooh. steep faces like uh yeah i i should that that for, i think that was just the worst accident i ever had i mean i only broke my foot which was nothing but in regards of what happened i should have died that day my helmet was broken into i i hit a rock with my fit with my helmet and the, the helmet was smashed and um and the crazy thing and and that it's it's quite uh quite crazy and and when i tell the story people don't believe it but i pushed the the button on, on my inreach you know and i was one of those guys who, who really insisted at the time that everyone should have an inreach and i pushed on the sos button on the inreach and so 
the you know they they called my family because they get the message and they called my mom and they called my team and they said hey tom uh, pushed on this button what do you think we should do you know we are the crisis uh, team and for whatever reason my supporter this time uh, you know said to them oh he's probably okay he was flying with his friend ferdi ferdi is still flying tom should be okay so I pushed a second time <laughs> and then my mom received the message again and she felt that something was wrong. So she called Tarquin Cooper because she had her num his number and she called uh, the organization and she said, guys, my son pushed twice on the button. He's a professional athlete. You know, he knows what he's doing. I don't, I don't think it's just pushed on the button by Misty. You should, you should send someone. And so three hours later, the helicopter came with something that could have taken five minutes, you know, like uh, they knew yeah. and they were just next door. They, they just thought that they wanted to think that everything was fine. So they just, wow. just didn't check, which was crazy. So, so that, that was a big mistake. And in, 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 in that, that was my mistake. I should have briefed my team and say, guys, if I push the button, just, just send someone, you know, just don't yeah. even think about it. And, you know, my supporter had maybe a three hours of sleep the night before, and he was exhausted and probably, just didn't think um, properly and and also because what happened and and that was hard for ferdi it's, it's ferdi actually flew away and never see, never saw me coming out of that that takeoff and he kind of felt like okay maybe he didn't take off or he kind of you know yeah i don't know what happened exactly in his head but he didn't know but 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 at the same time we were so close like and so in the evening i went to see him and i said hey ferdi that's okay because he was crying he was like I feel so sorry you could have died and I, I was not even there to check and I didn't even fly back, you know, 500 meters to just see if everything was okay. And I was like, ah, this is fine. This is a race, you know, this is okay. But but he felt so bad. That was really a hard moment for him. Um, and, and he wanted to quit the race the next day because he just felt so bad about this. And and I, I understood. I was like, man, we are all exhausted and we, we just, we are in, a, in another place, you know, and we, we just um, we, we don't know how to deal with all this, so it's it's too much to take. But but that evening, Ferdi landed in fifth position, and uh, I think together we could have done also a really nice fight. So, um, but yeah, I was super scared, and and that's where you see the that was a scary moment, and that's where you see the experience of those guys with the helicopters in the Alps. You know, they just came, they dropped someone on a on, on a line. You know, he sat next to me, and then. We took the glider or what, what was left of the glider and then they put me a harness and then they took me out and flew me to the hospital in Bellinzona and uh, and there I was for, for a few days to, to recover. So that was a difficult year, but um, yeah, that's how you learn. Bellinzona has so not, a, that was not the, been a kind the, place to you. No, and, and, that's, and that's a funny part of the story is that a year before I broke my back um, in Bellinzona and Actually, that's the same helicopter that came to get me, <laughs> and they brought me into the same hospital. Really? And so they brought me into uh, the same hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the time, I was sponsored by Salomon, so I was dressed with Salomon stuff. You know, I was with my Red Bull helmets and with my hiking poles and my paraglider. And I came a year later, exactly, you know, dressed pretty much the same in the same hospital again for a paragliding accident. But on the first accident, I broke my back and I stayed for like a week there, you know, so everyone knew me and they called me the Iron Man because I had a paragliding crash, but I was still kind of okay. And so when I came there, like, hey, the Iron Man is back. <laughs> and I was like, oh, come on, guys. No jokes, please. And uh, so I, I knew everyone. I knew all the nurses by their, oh, by their names hysterical. and stuff. It's a small hospital, you know. 
So yeah, it was it was the accident happened five kilometers away from the accident I had a year before. So wow. it was it, I I had three difficult years because I had I broke my back during the Adriatic Circle with Paul Schlebauer, where we went all around the Adriatic Sea. We covered three thousand kilometers uh, hiking and flying, and I broke my back there. And then it took a while to recover, and then. We came back in spring to finish the Adriatic Circle. And it, it was really good training for Ixalts. And then came to Ixalts, and then I broke my foot. So went again into the whole, you know, surgery and, you know, like uh, the whole thing. And um, and then I recovered. I started to go on expeditions again. And then I had a climbing accident, and I lost uh, a part of my finger uh, with a big, massive stone that fell on me. Um, so it was like three years in a row where I had accidents, you know. I don't know if you've seen that before, no, but yeah, I, I have didn't a, know that. Uh, a missing Whoa. finger. Yeah, yeah. I, didn't know I was that I was climbing with um, I was climbing with uh, you you know him with Sean Villanueva. You know, he's just won yeah. the Piole d'Or. He's a Patagonia athlete, and, and yeah. Nicola Fabres, Nico, and uh, and we were climbing together, opening a new a new line. And I'm I'm not a good climber. Like I, I just always following them and. Uh, just enjoying my time in the mountains, but I had a bad feeling that morning, and I told them, "Hey, I, I don't, I don't have a really good feeling about this." And then, yeah, I was going after them, and basically, I don't know exactly what happened, but I, I tried to, you know, go over a big, a big stone, big boulder, and the whole thing disconnected from the wall and fell on me. It was as big as a fridge, so I almost got smashed. And um, yeah, yeah, and they just passed there. A minute before so they they got lucky too and i got lucky because i would have been below um and and a minute before i took a friend you know one of those uh thing that they put into the the cracks i mm -hmm. took it out of that stone but imagine if, if the whole thing went off with it inside we would just have we would we wouldn't be there to, to tell the story so oh. it was the third year in a row that i had an accident and there i felt you know i have to think about the way I, I approach risk and, and how I manage it, you know? And, uh, and that was very interesting because then I went to spend some time with the, um, the, uh, the APC. So Red Bull has a, uh, you might know, we have a, uh, an athlete performance center called the APC. And it's uh, it's a super cool place where athletes can go and train and get advices and stuff. And we have mental uh, coaches, we have uh, psychologists, we have uh, doctors, you know, trainers and everything. And so I went there and I said, guys, I, I need to think about the way I approach risk and I need some tools. You know, I need to, I, I need to see things differently. And it was very interesting that I think we talked about it before, maybe in the podcast last time, but it was the way you can manage risk and, and the way you can approach it. And he gave me a little thing that I would like to share with, with the pilots out here, like out there, because it's interesting. He said, when you, when you get into a situation, let's say you're getting on a takeoff in the morning, you know, there's three things you should check. One is how you feel. Like, is it a good day? You know, did did you did you have your coffee this morning? Did you have a good night? Um, is everything okay at at, at home? You know, it's just kind of a in your relations. Check, yeah. uh, you know, mental check. How do you feel? Do you feel good? Then then the other one is the 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 location check. If I could say it's like where am I? You know, and what 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 are the conditions? Oh, the sky is dark. Uh, maybe it's windy. Uh, it's coming from the side. The takeoff is steep. You know, it can be anything. Or it's beautiful and it's great, and it looks like an amazing day. And 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 what about your gear? You know, okay, I, I'm flying a new glider, or I'm I'm flying a glider that I know. You know, like 
let's say the surrounding, everything that surrounds us. That's the second thing that you have to check. And then the third thing is the mission. What did I come for? You know, I'm, I came here to take off. Okay, well, and, and then what? Uh, to fly long distance. Okay, am I prepared? Do I have enough food? Do I have all my instruments charged and stuff? And and so by only doing this, you can see if some red lights pops up, you know, like mm-hmm. if, oh, well, I'm actually tired or I just, you know, my 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 wife just left me, <laughs> which I hope is never is never going to be the case. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but you know, and or or I've never flown this ladder, or the wind is coming from the side. But it's just it's just a check. It takes five minutes, but it it gives you you know it it can it you can position yourself you know in 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 the reality, and you can look around and say, okay, well maybe this is not a good day, or maybe I just should take my expectations or my mission lower lower the, my goals today you know because maybe i'm i'm tired and, and and by only doing this it gives me a lot more um clarity if i can say you know yeah and it's it's super easy it's pretty basic you might even think you know but most people don't do this you know they they arrive on takeoff and they're just on they get on their routine and blah, 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 let's take off and they, 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 they're in a hurry and um, I think that's a very, very powerful tool. And, and, and it helps me to connect with my intuition. You know, it yeah. helps me to just take that moment to think and say, okay, how do I feel about this? You know, and, and if, if the intuition says, Hey Tom, be extra careful, then I'm just going to be extra careful. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think setting a, setting an environment for our brains to adapt, you know, if, if you, if you make that kind of a, uh, sequence a habit uh you know you can your your brain like you said intuition it's not magic it it is our collective mm-hmm. experiences that we call our gut feeling you know and our gut feeling is something exactly you know we we need to get really good at listening to because it's not like you said it's not wacky it's it's it it is you know it's it's a combination of fear and all those things that we need to stay alive. And I think it's, uh, you know, when you, when you have that, I, I like that, that you've created kind of a, a mental framework for you to kind of jump in, assess things real quick. You know, how do I feel? How does the sky look? How do, how do things look? And and what am I here to do? And it's, you know, sometimes that answer is, yep, yeah, you can walk down, which is a good thing. <laughs> it's a good exactly. Thing. And it's, and it's just about, tuning in with with yourself you know like be tuned and and listen to your inner voices and stuff you know mm-hmm. and um and and we do when in paragliding we we do a lot of like you go to paragliding school and people won't tell you about these things you know they'll tell you yeah. about how to take off and how to land and this and that but they won't tell you about just let let's just sit down and look at what what it is and what's happening and you know and you can avoid so many mistakes and it happened many times that in the past where I took off and then you're in the air and then, Oh, Oh, the wind is quite strong. Like I should have realized before taking off, you know, that's, that's not how it should work. So it's like, okay, we have a lot of experience. So we get ourselves into uh, tricky conditions and we can save ourselves. Basically, you know, we can, we can manage. Um, But, but, but still maybe you get into the red zone, you don't even notice, you know, and and you do that a few times and then it's all about statistics. One day you're going to get hurt, you know, um, so I, I think that's very interesting to say, okay, you know, just let's take a little bit of time and to reflect on what's, you know, and not to reflect, but to analyze what's happening around us and, and just try to understand and, and tune in with conditions and stuff. And I do that also at the end of a flight. I, I try to take 
two minutes after landing because most of the time you land and then you're just uh, happy you want to have a fresh beer and stuff but i i pack and then i sit down for a minute and i'm like okay how was it uh what did i like what did i what i didn't like um was it a close call or did i feel safe all the way maybe i should have do things differently and i tried to just do it while i'm still in it you know because if you if you wait for a few days and you forget about your experience or you just get into a, a next flight and and maybe you, you cannot get the most out of it mm. so uh it's a mind game at the end of the day mm. you know and people tend to forget about this yeah. but it's it's just a mind game the whole thing good advice i love it mm. Tom, uh, 2017, uh, I remember a lot of bad weather in 2017. We, we, uh, you and I were, we were pretty close to each other in that race for a long ways, as I recall. Um, and, uh, we had the Garda turn point, which was tough. And, but yeah, I remember, I remember a lot of big weather, a lot of storms, but, um, that was the tree glob. That's, that's right. was that the, that was the tree glob year. I saw the scariest flying I'd ever seen yeah, in my yeah, life. Yeah. Uh, day two, we were, I, I had pulled my night pass inextricably. That was a huge mistake and walked all night. And I had gotten up to that, that pass that was heading, you know, the heading down into Austria the next morning and turned around and saw Paul and Gaspard and Benoit and others fly out of that canyon in really strong north fern conditions. And I actually called Jorgen, the safety director, and said, you better get the helicopter out here. Somebody's going down. It was the sketchiest flying I'd ever seen in my life. Uh, and that was when Kriegel pulled that yet again, another incredibly magic move and got all the way down to Triglov and got out that night. That was that was amazing to see. But yeah, tell us about, remember that. Tell us that about 2017. Crazy. Remember the first day? No, no one flew. Um, I think that was a first in the X Alps, and there wasn't. It was. We got up to the top of the Geisberg, and it was dumping rain, so we all just walked off it. We ran down. Ran down. Yeah. Right. I remember that. That was horrible. It was horrible. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Man, 2017 was for me one of the worst. Um, but at the same time, it was very interesting. It was one of the worst because I was doing quite okay, but then I got a penalty time. Um, oh, and, right. and there was a mistake that, um, Going up I mean, to the I, I was, uh, yeah. So what happened is that I, I don't remember exactly, uh, I, I do remember, but, um, every morning I would have, I would get a, a briefing from my team, you know, and they would give me the forbidden areas at the time. We didn't have so many, I should have, to be honest, it's my mistake. I should have known every area. Like now I, I study every forbidden area on the way and try to, know all of them but it's difficult as you know and and there's there are so many and um and that day we in the morning we analyzed uh, kriegel's track and we thought oh this is interesting what he did there around this mountain i would have gone straight why is that but we didn't we didn't see it and we had this google earth app and it was a forbidden area but the color was really dark and we didn't see it and I didn't see it. My team didn't see it. And so it was not in my briefing. And every day I would receive a little piece of paper from my team with all the forbidden areas. Be careful with this and that. And so I was flying and I hear the, the, the vario beeping, like doing this alarm thing. But I'm like, oh, I must be close to something. But there is no forbidden areas because I haven't seen it. And it's not in my briefing. And I flew into it only by, I think, five meters. And it was a... It was a zone, a military zone where uh, the guys, the military, they, they train once a month. They do shooting exercises or something. So it's forbidden, but it's not like I was into a big airspace or, you know, 
Yeah, you weren't hitting you know, a CTR or something. It was one of those weird ones. Causing trouble. Yeah, yeah, no. In, in, in traffic, like nothing like that. But but anyway, I went into it. And the rule was really clear at the time. It was 48 hours penalty. So that was really hard to take because I was doing well. I was I was in the top 10, I think. Or, and then I got... I got a call from from the race director and said, "Hey Tom, I'm sorry, but you're gonna get 48 hours penalty." Mm-hmm. So I knew that at the end of those 48 hours, I was gonna be fat last, which happened actually. I I took two days off, which was great. I mean, you in the, I had four days of racing or five days, and and then I took two days off. So we we went into a small village. We put a camp, like we were we bought some food, and I slept a lot, and I, I rested and. And there, there was nothing I could do, you know. Yeah. And then uh, one of the guy had also a penalty, so we we it was a uh, Evany, uh, and uh, he also had the penalty. He went into the same forbidden area than me, so we were both into that situation, and we were we were last. So we started to push ourselves like as much as we could, and we got lucky because one guy got hurt in front, and he decided not to get out of the race. He kind of said, "Hey guys, I'm hurt, but I'm just going to sit here so you can." pass in front of me it was a spanish um if and so you you're not going to be disqualified so at the time it was evany in the back so i was kind of safe but then we and for the rest of the race we kind of we were fighting to avoid uh being the last and being you know cut off the race so it was it was really hard for me but i i could build some distance and and cover some distance and i i could save myself but uh so at the end of the race i was uh just one before last or something like that, but I was still in the race, which was became my new <laughs> my new oh. goal basically after I got the penalty time. But but it's it was hard. It, it's hard to like to race again in a race where you know you can do anything. You're not gonna get to the end, which was my dream. You know, um, you you're not gonna do anything. The the ranking is gonna be pretty bad. So you really have to to not you know just go home. It's hard. Um, mm. but, but I couldn't go home. Like, uh, I should, you know, you, you have to do things with style and, and just, uh, play it fair play, you know, as, as we can say. So I just say, okay, well, this is what it is. And I, my team said, oh, sorry. I said, okay, this is how there's nothing we can do about it. And, and we kept on pushing quite hard. And I was really tired at the end of, of the, that race because we really pushed. And, and that's where you realize that actually, because we we think about we look at the ranking and we think well those guys in the back they, they must be lazy but that's really not the case i mean you push as much as you push in the front and in the back you know it's a, uh it's it's crazy how fast actually it goes in the back but sometimes you have a little bit of bad luck bad weather you get into the last um, group and 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 then you have to fight for your life and that's so intense i would i would prefer a hundred times being somewhere in the middle so you don't have all that pressure of being cut off the race you know that's super hard to be i I had never experienced that until my last race you know that was a series series of weird things happened to us the first two three days in the in the last race where i'd always had pretty good starts and you know it was uncomfortable and i never had to think about i've never had to think about elimination or had to deal with that until this last one and and uh i was on the chopping block for the first four uh, i think for at least the first three eliminations and um you're like you said it's it's a totally different kind of racing it's very stressful and nick nanins who had always done well he and i were battling it out and 
a couple others that were, you know, really covering ground well. And it was, you know, I just kept thinking, there's no way I'm going to get eliminated from this race. I just got to keep doing my thing. But it was, it was really neck yeah, and neck. But- and then we had some bad, you know, some, some things happened that were kind of out of our control, you know, people ahead that would just quit instead of, you know, just riding it out, you know, which isn't really yeah, that's the philosophy bad. of the race. And, and it was, uh, yeah, yeah, it was just, it was always intense. It was intense for quite a while. And then, you know, finally broke free of it, you know, day seven or day eight or something, but yeah, it's a, it's yeah, a you get back different kind yeah, of place to be. Beautiful. It's scary. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's scary and it's intense and you tend to take more risks too, yeah. you know, because you, you kind of, you have the, that pressure, that extra pressure. And, uh, I hated it. And, and, but, you know, for us that we, we know what's, what, what the race is all about. And I've seen some of the best pilots in the back, like uh, Martin Muller one year was really almost last and we all thought he was going to, and, and then the next day he flew 150 K and came back into top three. And I think it finished the race in, in, in the top. So it's, um, it can change so fast, you know? Yeah. Um, but we all know that if you, if you have a little bit of bad luck or one wrong decision or, or on the other way, like if you, if you have good luck, if you're lucky and you, you make a good move, uh, it, it can change the whole race. And sometimes you're five minutes late, you know, in the evening and you just cannot fly down into the valley and then you lose half a day. Um, and that happens all the time. And, and it's, it's hard. It's hard to take it and to just accept it and say, okay, well, tomorrow it's going to be another day and we'll try to give our best. And, uh, for me, in the last race, it felt like I was always off timing. I would arrive when the wind was getting strong and then I would, I would catch up with the guys and then boom, it was, uh, whatever for whatever reason couldn't go or i would arrive late in the evening on, on a high mountain pass and not being able to fly down and have to hike down on half of the night you know so it was it felt like it was just off uh timing all the time and um but that's how it is i guess you know that's that's how the race works and um for me 2017 was really hard but 2019 was probably one of my best uh, year well, i was uh, gonna say if we I go to 2019 we get to was, see uh, uh we get to see you come alive. That was, that was, that was your year. It was, you know, you know, all the, all these years of just slipping out of the top 10 and they're just not making Monaco. And, and 2019 was, was your year, man, you were strong that year. It, it just charging. You were in the top 10 yeah, the whole race. I, yeah, but I have to be like, if, if I'm totally honest with you, it's, um, it's not that, I was not prepared um, the races before, but I, I didn't take it so seriously. Like, and I was flying sea glider some years and it was like, but 2019, I really decided to change, you know, the way I was doing things. I prepared with a different, like I took a team that were like really a lot more professional, if I can say, you know, we, we were before it was just like, okay, let's go on a cool adventure and let's push and let's try to do something. But, but my approach in 2019 was, I can say for the first time, really more professional and i my goal was to get to monaco and i was really into it and i trained like hell that year i flew a lot i i studied the route and so and i got a bit lucky um you know in, in the flights and the flying parts and and it was a very interesting year because until three days before the end i thought well if i want to make it i need to fly 120k per day minimum i think i had to cover 150 a day straight lines so it was it was i thought I was not going to make it, you know? Um, and especially when I arrived, uh, in Monteviso, that was really hard that day. I, I make it to Monteviso and I do, I enter into the turn point 
and out. And then I'm flying out and I'm going. And I received a message uh, from a friend and from the organization. And they say, Tom, you, you didn't make the turn point. And I'm like, what? Yeah, well, you, you just didn't, didn't, didn't get into the cylinder. You have to go back. And so I'm, I'm there soaring on a high, like on a mountain, not far from there, like maybe three or four kilometers, but I, but the clouds are getting dark and I'm like, if I'm going back, I'm, I'm not going to be able to get out. And I'm like, are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I land and I called the organization. I said, guys, are you really sure? And, and, uh, we talk and I lose like almost half an hour and I see pilots flying above me. And, um, and then I, uh, I look at the, the fly master and he didn't have coverage. My flymaster didn't get the SIM card, was not working. So what was happening is at the time when your flymaster was not working, your inReach was doing the points. But of course, your inReach was doing a point every 10 minutes. So that point was out of the cylinder. And then I decided to trust myself and think, well, when the flymaster will get coverage, he will send the points and they will see that I was in, you know. Fuck it, I'm, I'm going south. <laughs> I took <laughs> off again, but I had lost... Um, an hour and, and oh, a half almost. It was crazy. Oh, I so know. I flew out and, and, and I landed at the bottom of the valley. When everyone landed 20 games in front, they were in a much better position for the next day. It was really hard for me. And so I landed there and then we realized that I did do the turn point. I, it, it was in, you know, clearly in. So I was like, oh man, I should have just gone. That wouldn't happen anymore because uh, we have double instruments yeah, and we yeah. check everything so well and stuff. But I started to doubt, you know, you get a call from the organization. They say, Tom, you didn't make it. You have to fly back. You're like, okay, well, you trust them. So anyway, not trying to find excuses, but, but that evening I thought I'm not going to make it to Monaco. This is ruined. Uh, this is too far. I only have 24 hours left. This is this is too much. I had to fly 160k the next day, and um, and the conditions were not even great, you know. But then the next day, I got lucky. The weather improved. I flew well, and uh, and I was you know really super motivated. Um, and I and I entered into uh, yeah Monaco the next day. What what was interesting is that I arrived flying and I had a big thunderstorm in my back. And I had a convergence and I was flying, like everything was going up, beep, 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 beep. And then I saw the other guys just in front of me, like the top five between, I think it was six, seven, eight, and nine. They were all just, just there. I could see them um, and I could reach them. I could go and, and, and go with them. But I thought, I'm not going to make a difference if I go with them. You know, they're in front, they'll stay in front and, and we're going to be running one after the other. So I'm just going to try another line and it didn't work. I, I just... Went down, <laughs> didn't do much. And when I landed, I looked at my GPS and I saw 75 kilometer to hike to get to the turn point. And I start counting hours and I'm like, okay, I have my knife pass. Okay, at an average of seven kilometer per hour, I will do it. But I had to keep that average. So I started running and I ran for 10 hours. And I arrived at one hour before the end of the race. Uh, oh my God, Tom, That was I very special. That. Holy smokes. Yeah, yeah that was really had to push like the whole night, the whole night after such a long race. But I knew I was going to make it. Like I was, I was already celebrating. Like I knew, okay, 10 hours, 75Ks or I have to, it was 12 hours, 75Ks. So I had to average seven, uh, around seven per hour. 7k per hour and and i knew i could do it like you know running and hiking really fast and it was downhill quite a lot at the beginning so i was really fast and 
And then, but then it was up and down and up and down. And I was like, pushing, pushing, but I knew I, I, you know, I had wings, you know, I, it was, it was I had been waiting for that moment uh, all my life, <laughs> you know? So for me, it was, uh, I'm just going to go for it. And it was very emotional. Like I, I remember when I arrived on top, uh, I, I cried, you know, I was so happy to be there with my team and, uh, to, to see Monaco from, from that point of view. And, uh, yeah, to make it to Monaco and, and being, I was, I think I was 10th or something or 9th, I think. Yeah, yeah. But um, it was, it was beautiful. Really cool experience. And that day, Coconea flew into the thunderstorm. Thomas Coconea flew into the thunderstorm I was just telling you about. And he had to escape. And so he went north. He flew up to 5,000 meters and then he escaped. And he went back north, <laughs> uh, flew back 40K and, and landed somewhere. That was, uh, that was, that was pretty heavy. But um, yeah, beautiful race. I really enjoyed, it. and I think I think it was hard also in the same time because I was always between six, seven. You know, I was really seven, eight in into the race, and I thought maybe I could do something, maybe being six or seven or eight. But I was just happy to make it to Monaco, and that was that was good enough for me. Hmm. And in twenty twenty one, we got the big, huge change of uh, not going to Monaco anymore, which. I personally was thrilled about. I didn't like Monaco very much, but I did kind of feel for the rookies going mm-hmm. into it because it's it's something to get there. It's uh, it's special to go to the sea, but totally different race and you know kind of an out and back be uh, around Mont Blanc and uh you and I didn't spend any time together. Like I said, I was I was fighting at the back in the beginning and really had a tough few days to start off with the start off with the race, but my weather experience with the race was was frequently terrifying and i'd love to hear your your perspective and and how the race went for you because as in 2019 you were you were crushing it you were really doing well yeah what what was very interesting for me is that um for the first time i had an amazing glider you know uh in 2021 so in 2019 i was flying with with um the wild from super but it was already four years old, the glider. So I flew it in 2017 also. And it was a good glider in 2017, but in 2019, it was already quite uh, behind the others. And But in 2021, I, I had um, an advanced an Omega. It was the same glider as uh, Kriegel was flying. And uh, it was a great glider. Like for the first time, I could really feel speed and performance. And, and I could feel that I was you know, fighting with the others on the same, you know, like if you go to a Formula One race with the same car as the first ones, you know, it's super, it was very motivating for me. I mean, everyone had good gliders at this stage, but but still it was, uh, it was really good for me to, to have one of those. And, um, and so I was extra motivated. I had been flying quite a lot. And in terms of training, I put a lot of hours, like physically, I was, I was uh, very strong. I think I actually have the record that no one wants to have. I am the, the athlete who walked, uh, who hiked the most in, in 2021. <laughs> I really? hiked, I think 600 and yeah, yeah. It, I, it, I had it three times <laughs> in my short <laughs> career. Um, the, the record of the guy who hikes the most, but, um, but, uh, at this time, I think I hiked 650 K. Um, and I didn't even use my, uh, my night pass. And I, I didn't use my night pass and I was still like 40k in front of the second one or something. So oh. it was uh, too much hiking, <laughs> but, but I, I felt okay. But, but, uh, but like you, I, um, um, my, my little daughter was, was very young 
Um, it felt really important to come back home in, in one piece. I, I approached race differently for that race. And I always said to my partners and also my sponsors, I remember the guys at Advance saying, hey, Tom, Tom, you know, just, just don't go over it. You know, like take, take, your, take it easy. No pressure. Do your thing, you know. But we want to see you in, in one piece at the end and just take it easy. And so that was, that was great. And, and um, from the beginning of the, the race, like on the first day, it was great because it was my birthday actually and so um we i celebrated my birthday at the start of the race and that day i had a really good flight and i one of my best memory but I, that's very personal and that doesn't mean anything but was at some stage uh, we were in front with Ferdi and with uh, Kriegel and some other ones i mean everyone was around but we were in the very front um near Dachstein. And, uh, and I just kind of decided to leave the place because we were in a super shitty knee side. I didn't like it. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to risk it. Uh, fuck this, you know, just if you want to fly in the lee side, just do your thing, but I, I'm going, you know, I'm leaving. So I started flying away and I'm first with Ferdi together and I find a term along the way, very smooth, but I, I get it. And I start turning and there comes Kegel because he sees me going up and we go glider against glider into this super small and shit thermal and i don't know how but he kind of loses it and i get it <laughs> and so here i am like really putting distance between <laughs> between kegel and i you know and really like building big big difference like and i get to cloud base and he's 500 meters below i'm like Whoa. and then my Whoa, phone goes crazy like enjoy. everyone is sending me whatsapps yeah yeah everyone is like happy birthday tom you just uh you, you just left the, the, the kegel the eagle into you know like you left him there and it was it was pure luck as you know like i i got i got into the bubble and i got lucky it was pure luck it doesn't mean anything of course we all know that but but for me it was like it was my birthday it was the start of the race i had a really good feeling and it gave me a lot of confidence i, I mm. kind of felt now you, you just believe in yourself you know you just you just did this and um it was interesting and and then we kept on going but uh that evening and then after we flew down to uh, to the turn point and and for whatever reason my glad was not so good the wind was a bit shaky and and so i landed and then i didn't have time to make it to the pass and fly down the other side so i went all around and then the next day I made a small mistake. And that was very interesting, actually. On the second day I made a mistake that was that cost me a lot, actually. Um I I arrived on a really good take. I was with um with uh, Ferdi. Uh I mean Ferdi was following me and uh, and Lori was with me. And I'm with Lori and I arrive on a really nice takeoff. It's beautiful, it's nice and stuff. And but then I look at the next hill and I'm like, well maybe it's you know, I still have half an hour to kill because it's it's too early to take off. I just have time to go to the next hill. And Lori says, oh, I'm, I'm going to stay here. You know, it's it's good enough. It's a good takeoff. And for whatever reason, I, I, I walk and I hike to the next hill. And I sit there and I see it's getting, you know, good. And then I see Lori and Ferdi taking off because they had breeze and their spot was probably better. But I didn't have anything coming up. And my takeoff was, was bad. And I took off and I couldn't climb and I landed at the bottom and I saw those two guys flying above me just because I wanted to, you know, cover half a kilometer more. It was ridiculous, you know, but I thought, okay, this is going to be, it's on the same ridge. This is going to be good anyway. Just, I have time to kill. I'm just going to walk a little bit more. I just wanted to. And then they flew above me and they disappeared. So I ran up to the takeoff again 
and I took off, but I was an hour late. And, and then I thought like I gave, I gave all I had, like I flew as fast as I could and I flew quite well. And I caught up with, uh, with Perdi and Laurie. I caught up with wow. uh, Maxime uh, Pinot and, and we flew with Max and Ferdi all the way to the lake and back. And so there we were in a super good position. And actually in the evening, we, we glided down and we left Max behind. He took a wrong decision and we kind of left him behind. So we're like, okay, now I was with Ferdi, my, my, one of my best friends. Max Pino was behind. <laughs> like, okay, we just left Max Pino behind. This is it, you know. And so we we were pretty confident. But then I I made a few mistakes the day the day after. I built some distance between me and and the rest of the of the teams, and and then it was really hard to catch up. And it was always playing catch up, catch up, catch up, and trying to catch up, and it just didn't work as I wanted to. But but I had some amazing flights and I and really enjoyed it. But the timing always felt wrong. I, we arrived at Mont Blanc. The wind was blowing like hell. You know, all those guys flew the day before all around it. We arrived. We had to hike everything. And then it was four days of hiking. And, and there I took the right decisions. You know, when, when we were in Monte Rosa, in the south phase of Monte Rosa, the wind was blowing super hard, like really strong. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to take it easy. And um, Steve Bramfit. Uh, no, first it was the, uh, yeah, Steve, Steve said, Hey Tom, are you sure you, you don't go to takeoff? And I'm like, no, man, it's too strong. I can see that the trees are going like crazy and stuff. And he took off and he broke his knee that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was quite seriously injured. And then, uh, it was the German, um, I'm, I'm really bad at with names. Oh, Mike, uh, Michael Latcher. Right. Michael uh, Latcher. No, it's. No, it's, um, it's, uh, ah, maybe, I don't know, like really nice guys. I'm, I feel so bad about not knowing his name anymore, but anyway, and he, he also landed, had a crash and broke his hand and, um, on the same day. And I, and I felt like this is it, you know, I took the right decision not to fly and, and those two guys are out of the race now. So it was just, I was gaining positions by only being super safe and just wait for mm-hmm. basically for the others to crash, which is not a good thing to do, but, um, they they got in serious trouble and they yeah and and then the next day i flew 150k back into the group i was really close to 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 the guys in front but uh yeah it was too hard and and it was really nice and the last day of the race and for me that was one of the most beautiful finish and i i, I will end with this it's uh i knew about a, a mountain hut because i had been there with my brother years ago in 2011 and so I knew about that mountain hut uh, not far from the lake area. And um, and so I flew 150K that day. And when I landed at the bottom, I, I remembered, okay, there's, there's this hut up there. Still thought I could do it on time to go to the pass and fly down. But when I arrived on top, it was too late. It was almost nine o'clock and, and I couldn't go. So I walked down to the, to the mountain hut and I knocked at the door and the woman opened the door and I, I just said, do you remember me? And she said, yes, I do. Thomas, right? <laughs> it was crazy. No and so I was like, yeah, yeah. Well, Ixab, she was following the Ixab. So I think she, she kind of looked at the life tracking, but she remembered that we were there with my brother in 2011. And so she prepared a big piece of meat. It was nine. I decided to stop racing that day because it was no point of hiking down. It was like I would have hiked all night to just come to the point where I would have landed next morning. So it was no point doing that. So I just sat there. Like had a beautiful steak, 
um, enjoy my evening, sat next to the fire, read a book. It was the last day, you know. I read a book. I went to sleep at 9.30 and, and I had a full night. In the morning, I woke up at 7. I had a real breakfast. I walked half an hour to a really nice takeoff. I waited half the morning for the wind to come up. The guys were in the back, but they, it was hard for them to catch up, you know, and they were quite far. And then I took off and I flew the last three hours of the race just enjoying smooth conditions, no wind, beautiful thermals, and kind of making peace with the whole situation, you know, like, okay, I didn't have the race I wanted to have, but here I am. I enjoyed my last evening. I'm rested. I'm having beautiful conditions. I'm going to land next to my team. I'm in one piece, you know, it, it was, I was happy. I was super happy. And, and then I landed what a after the yeah, race next to the man. And, and, and that's the thing. It's like, that's kind of the moments that I missed, you know, from the previous six outs. Like the, at the time, I remember we would, we would sometimes, all of us, we will be sitting inside a, a mountain hut, you know, like maybe 10 pilots of the X-Alps, you know, on the first days we were always, and we would share, you know, stories and okay, let's go to sleep and tomorrow is another day. And, but now there's, a lot more pressure. People want to go faster. Everyone's pushing. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story that I, it's so funny. Like we were, I think it was in 2000, 2009. I think we were in a mountain hut and uh, we, it was early in the morning. It was like eight in the morning or something. And everyone gathered there. It was Alex Hofer, uh, myself, Martin Miller. We were like a group of, of pilots, maybe the top six, seven, everyone was there. It was the second day. And, uh, and then we were all having a apple saft, you know, it's like this apple juice, sparkling apple juice with big glasses. And, uh, and then comes the, the Colombian guy, um, Hugo Jimenez, and he comes inside the, the hut and looks at everyone and he, you could feel he felt a little bit uncomfortable. He didn't really know what to do and stuff. And he goes to the, to the bar and orders a beer you know, because, because he thought that we were all drinking beers, you know? And so he comes with his beer and sit at the table and put his beer on the table. Like if it was normal, like, like if, if every one of us were drinking beer at eight in the morning, you know, and then we all start laughing and we're like, ah, this is so good. And everyone laughs and everyone was super chill about it. But it was like, you could tell this guy came from south america you know and he, he just wanted to you know to be part of the whole thing but he didn't really know how to act on it it was so funny and so he had a bit of beer and we all kind of shared some beer and, and then we went off we, we took off again and, and left and but um yeah th this is those moments i i i cherish the most you know with the 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 feeling that you the friends you make on the way you know the people you spend time with the other athletes you you, you spend time with, you go through very difficult times together, you support each other, um, you take care of each other. When you see someone going into a cloud, you try to, and, and I really love the spirit. And I think it's still there. And I think it's, it's our responsibility also to keep it alive, you know, to keep the spirit mm -hmm. alive and to help each other and to share informations and stuff. And you, you, I, I know you are in, in this, in this team too. Like uh, we, we've always been sharing everything we know and then yeah. the best will win. You know, this is how I see things, you know, I, we share everything. And, and all the information's out there and then the best will win, you know, but, yeah. but not everyone thinks like that, you know, I've had some experiences yeah, but it's, and, it's, um, uh, and it's okay, you know, for the most part though, you're right. And I, you know, the hardest, one of the hardest decisions about not doing it was just missing out on that. You know, as someone who's done the race, 
you know, we, we know that there's, there's a whole lot of special things, right? There's a lot of things that go in. It's the training and the team. And, you know, for me, it's the, the, the places that you get uh, both mentally and physically that you, you would never get just touring the Alps and flying. You, you, you get to these very special places that are, you know, for me are going to be really hard to miss, but, but a lot of it is just the, the camaraderie and the, the getting to know people like you and, and, and all the other teams and athletes. And it's a, you know, it's, it's a very intense 12 days that leaves its mark. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of my, uh, I don't know, trepidation with not doing it because it was a hard decision to not, not do another one. You know, there's all the obvious stuff that, you know, the training and the time and the money and all the things that, you know, are always tough, but a lot of it's just missing you guys, you know, just, just not being a part of something so special. Ferdy's quite inspirational to me because he took, you know, he took 2019, I believe off. Was it 2019 or 2017? I can't remember, but he, you know, he, he, he always does well, but he took, you know, he took the year off and then he came back and I'm kind of hoping that he'll, you know, he'll come back because he's not doing this one too. I'm hoping he'll come back again. And, we we know, hope you will come about, back. We yeah. will hope you will come back. I'm thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, you I'm should. You should. You know, because, <laughs> yeah, you, know, you will was, be back, I'm sure. I mean, this is, this is uh, the cool thing about it. It's like you can always come back. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really special family, you know, it, it's a, uh, it, I'm, I'm, I'm excited, so excited to watch you guys throw down again. And Tom, thanks for sharing these wonderful stories. I, I, my face is tired. I've been smiling so hard, <laughs> but uh, I appreciate <laughs> no, it. Thank I, you I, for having me, man. It's the, uh, I can see the time running. I'm like, okay, we talked too much. It's been, it's been, uh, it's because I, I cannot stop talking i'm sorry no, but um uh, it's been a blast thank you so much for for having me and and for spreading the, the the word and you know like sharing with those with everyone else i think it's always good to to share our our knowledge and and, and the cool thing is that the exiles will always be there i think that there's a young generation coming behind us you know with with really like uh, super motivated athletes and really professional approaches and stuff and we will see a, a lot more of you know those cool adventures and, and and also there are new races like uh like the xbox and, and races like you know new events and uh, sh- you know appearing here and there and that's that's so cool to see that the whole world of of uh busy flying and uh you know racing and it's uh yeah it's really booming at the moment um, yeah it's really so taking the sport there's, uh, to there's a, a lot wonderful to do place you know it's 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 exciting to kind of I, mm. I think of it as kind of the new frontier but it, it's super exciting it's been really exciting yeah. to watch you over the years and uh man stick with it I'm, I'm glad you're in it again and uh thanks tom i appreciate it no thank you so much and uh we talk very soon then all the best to you If you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable, you can support it in a lot of different ways. You can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher, however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind the scenes costs so if you can support us financially all we've ever asked for is a buck a show 
And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out. We put a new show out every two weeks. So, for example, if you did a buck a show and every two weeks, it'd be about $25 a year. So way cheaper than a magazine subscription, and it makes all of this possible. I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that. Uh, pretty frequently, but I, for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people. And these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, you can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, we've tried to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, little video casts that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear we don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us, then just let me know and I'll set you up with an account. Of course, that'll be lifetime. And hopefully in a, you're being in a position someday to be able to support us. But you'll find all that on the website. Uh, all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought Cloud-Based Mayhem merchandise, t-shirts or hats or anything, you should be all set up. You should have an account. And you should be able to access all that bonus material now. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your support and we'll see you on the next show. Thank you.